There's no way you can appreciate that sunrise or that sunny day have you not been through some bad winters and some dark nights. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. Khalil, thank you so much for being here. Of course, brother. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really, really grateful. This is going to be special. Well, I... Uh... I made a conscious decision to say no um, to just about everything about, I don't know how many months ago it was, but I definitely, I definitely have said no a lot and it felt great. And that's something that um, Rick Rubin tried to teach me for years, that, that saying no, the word no is one of the most powerful and empowering words that you can utilize and practice. And it sounds so easy in theory, but I'm a people pleaser because yeah. I want people to like me. But um, being here in Austin has really helped me to get in touch with who I am and what I'm all about and what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with. And I saw your text come up and there, there I wasn't even any thinking. I was just like, yes, of course. Yeah. You know, because it just felt right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that means a lot to me. Um, that's a, that's a good lesson that I'm going to explore after this is what can I say no to? Yeah. What can I say no to? And thank you for saying yes, because today I was doing some research into your story and I watched, uh, a TEDx talk you did, uh, it had the word West in it. I forget the location. Um, yeah. It was on the East coast. East coast. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. it was, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was West. There was yeah. something West in there. And you said something at the end that it's possible to have massive monumental change. And I was just like, whoa, I like that as a tagline, massive monumental change. And I think that that is who you are. One of the many things that you represent is that you can have massive monumental change no matter where you've been, mm -hmm. how far down the scale you've gone. And I really wanna dig into your story and who you are and, and how you've had that transformation. Mm. Um, but before we start, there's a, a friend we have in common mm -hmm. and he texts me that you're absolutely one of his best friends that he's ever had. And him and I were going back and forth multiple times today. He said he absolutely loves you. And it was actually the reason why I had a, uh, a, a charger here for you. He said, ask him about his mental health. And if it goes below, if his phone battery goes below 95%. Oh, Lord. Do you know who this might be? Yes. We're talking about Kelly Slater. Yes. Kelly yes. Slater. Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend himself. He, he got, it, it started out, he got upset because he wanted to use my charger. And I said, I said, no, my, my bad, my battery is really low. And he was like, oh, okay. And then 
there was like a pause and then he grabbed my phone and looked at it. It was like 82% or something. <laughs> and he's like, are you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, that's low. That makes me very nervous. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel like I can't breathe. I need to be up in the nineties. So did you notice my response when you said I have yeah. a phone charger here you, for you? You said, oh, I'm at 96%. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I was sitting here like, did I hear that wrong? Or, yeah. No, you didn't hear it wrong. Uh, it, oh. I'm at 99 now. Oh, yes. Okay. Congratulations. Charged up. Powered up. I didn't, I didn't know you were friends with Kelly. I am friends with Kelly. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. But we, we actually haven't met in person. So okay. I say we're friends, but he's been a supporter of Fight for the Forgotten, the nonprofit I started. Great. And he's been encouragement to me. He's made videos for kids that have been really, really bullied. My little buddy Raiden that I've been helping with and mentoring for about over two years. Okay. Uh, who actually just got promoted in um, jujitsu. We got him into jujitsu. He's great. It was born on the spectrum with autism, deaf in his right ear, got beat up at school. And Kelly, during that time, sent an incredible, encouraging video to Raiden. And then through him and Laird, uh, we were able to get in contact with some surfers. We mm -hmm. took Raiden from Oklahoma. He never left the state of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. We took him to LA, to Disneyland, to uh, CBS SEAL team, got him set up to where he was starting scenes. There was a character named after him. And then wow. we took him to the beach and some like world championship level uh, surfers were teaching him how to surf. And it was his first time ever seeing the beach, ever being to the ocean. Wow. And his first time he's surfing with some of the best there are. And there was a nonprofit out there, I forget, it was something like Walk on Water or something yeah, yeah, that yeah. was for autism. Yeah. That's, that's autism. Uh, Dale Rhodes and um, I can't remember the other guy's name. He's very handsome, tall guy yeah. with a beard. Um, God, what is his name? He's an amazing photographer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was who helped us. And He's a great guy. Incredible guy. Yeah, great dad. Mm -hmm. we, him and I have a very, we have a very strange connection. Um, very strange connection. Um, and I can't think of his name right now, but I love him. And I yeah. love Dale, his, his partner, his actually, um, oh, I can't say that. I don't want to break him. I helped his partner out. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I helped his partner out many, many, and he would love it if we were talking yeah, about him and absolutely. he speaks freely. I just try to be respectful of yeah. 12 steps because you're not supposed to talk about him, you know, sure. press radio. And absolutely. Film, but, yeah. Well, I mean, for another thing, just Kelly was saying that you, just a moment in his life that you helped someone he dearly loved mm. and that you dropped everything to just be there for him, mm. for him and the person that he loved and how that just blew him away mm. and that he's forever grateful. That's sweet. So, That's very sweet. I mean, when you go from the depths of hell to living a life beyond your wildest dreams, the tendency is to want to help anybody and everyone. Mm. And then of course it gets into that strange area that we started out with where, where do you say no? And, um, you know, when do you say yes? And also like doing good deeds for, you know, I'm going to use it. I mean, as an, another example aside from Kelly, cause I want to set his personal stuff aside, but like, sure. I remember Cindy Crawford was coming in when we first opened and I've always been obsessed with her. I think she's the most beautiful woman alive. I think she's just a goddess. And it took like six or seven times for, of her coming in for me to not get really, really nervous. And remember it's Malibu. So you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a, a famous person, but there's certain people that are just, you know, larger than life. And so it was six or seven time I finally got the courage to walk up to take her order 
And this is at Sun Life Organics, this is which at you're Sun the Life. founder and, and yeah. owner of. Yeah. And um, she, I'll never forget, she ordered a million dollar smoothie and um, and she went to pull her card out. And I said, no, 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 I got this. I want to treat you. And she was like, "That that is so sweet. And the way she said it was like so sincere. And I'm like, no, it's not. She goes, it, it really is. I'm like, you're like the most beautiful woman on the planet. So it's not like I'm digging a ditch for, you know, people in Africa or something. Like, it's not like I'm going out of my way to be a virtuous man. And my, that reaction just had her cracking up because it's so true. It's easy to do things for famous people or for beautiful people or for people that potentially can do something for you at some point. But that's not how I judge my own character in my quiet moments. My mm. my I judge myself in my quiet moments of how did I treat the busboy when I asked for more uh, water mm. and instead he brought more bread because he didn't understand me? How did I treat him in that moment? Um, how do I treat the person at the DMV? Or how do I treat the person who's giving me a ticket when... I'm the one that parked there. I'm the one that forgot to put money in the meter, or I'm the one that took too long dilly dallying and came back to my car. If I'm going to be that type of person that motherfucks them and, you know, yells at them for giving me a ticket, then I know that I have a lot of work to do and something, and something is fundamentally wrong with me. I work extra hard to treat those people that can't do anything for me as well as I possibly can. And we have another mutual friend who we won't bring up any names, who when I saw him struggling, I thought to myself, I gotta gotta reach out, I gotta help. And I know you did the same, and I know other friends of ours did the same, but like, that's what I'm talking about. You know, this was somebody who kind of bum rushed me at a place where I didn't wanna be bothered and really wanted my attention in a moment where I just wanted to pee and get back to doing my workout, but I could see that there was some pain inside and I just fucking checked myself and I stopped and I'm like, no, shut the fuck up. Listen to what he has to say and just, just acknowledge him, see him, you know? And it was good because then I walked back and my workout actually went like better than it ever could have, you know, like I, I, I felt... I felt good on the inside versus I would have felt like an absolute prick had I brushed him off. And then when I was leaving, I was about to get into my chirp, chirp, fancy car. And I saw him out of the corner of my eye and it was like, go, go fucking give this dude some love, you know? And I went over and, uh, I said, Hey man, um, can we call your mom? Cause he had mm. mentioned that his mom bought him my book. Yeah. And he was like, looked at me like he'd seen a ghost and he's like, are you for real? And I'm like, yeah, is it cool? Can we call your mom? Cause I could kind of feel like that's what he wanted to do when I was talking to him the first time, but he could tell that I was a little antsy. And so he's like, yes. And he's like, please, you know, please pick up, please pick up. And sure enough, she picks up like on the first ring and I don't even get three words out and she starts crying Mm. And then he starts crying and then I start crying. And now the three of us are having this moment where here's a mom who's terrified that she might lose her son. Mm. Here's a son who's walking around with decades of shame over his addiction, which is horrible because we shouldn't feel shame over right. our addiction. Um, and then here's this guy who has crawled out of hell and has made a nice life for himself 
who could stand to have a little fucking humility and have a connection to some real human beings who aren't going to be able to take a selfie with him for Instagram, you know, or whatever. Like it was just fucking awesome. And so I work real hard to try and, and be that person. And I, and I fall short of the mark all the time. Yeah. But I think that even in that story and just my interactions with you, you, you are that guy so much more than you're not. Cause I've only seen the, the gym inside of you and know that how you give to people, whether, whether, we talk after you're at a speaking engagement and you know, you're going through stuff, but you decided to show up for mm. everybody there, mm. despite what you might currently be going through Yeah, because you're there to live a life of service. Yeah. And I think well, I was watching this, I don't know if it was ABC or CBS, NBC, like nightly thing that was done on you. And, um, they were talking about Sun life organics. You also your book, I forgot to die. Mm-hmm. And, in it, you said something about service and rule. Like it was a quote. Oh, to serve is to rule. To serve is to rule. Yeah. And <laughs> what, is, what does that mean to you? I heard that. I heard that. <clears throat> um, I think that was Paramahansa Yogananda or it was Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, but it, that was a quote from them that said, to serve is to rule. And I was early on in my recovery and I thought, oh, that's just fucking stupid. You know, like to, to rule is to have the house and the car and the hot wife or girlfriend, wife. Soon to be fiance. There, there we go. go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To have the, you, you know, know, hot significant other and the cool car. And like, that was really where I was at in my survival mode of, of early recovery. I really thought like, woe is me. I'm less than everybody else has a bunch of cool shit and like. I'm never going to be able to own a home and I'm never going to get a hot girlfriend. I'm never going to have any of that shit. And that was my mantra. I mean, I literally wholeheartedly, and by the way, I'm not, it's not cause I'm completely fucking stupid. I was 33, 34. Uh, my teeth were falling out of my head. Um, when I finally surrendered and joined the winning team, I was 109 pounds I had open abscesses all over my face, all over my arms, all over my legs. Um, when I came in, I had ringworm, I had scabies, I had been sharing needles with people that had AIDS and hepatitis C. And this is on Skid Row? On Skid Row, yeah. Wow. Um, I, had, I had done things, I had done things to get drugs um, that someone who's little like me, that's not tough and... Um, had somewhat of a, a conscious, even though I was operating for the most part without a moral compass. Um, I wasn't the type of person that was going to go like hurt someone or harm someone to get drug money. So I panhandled or I did other things to, you know, to get money for drugs. And so I had a lot of shame. I felt like a real piece of shit. Um, I had a I had this taste in my mouth that just never went away. What I didn't realize is, and it took probably a year and a half into my recovery, I had a systemic infection because of all of the abscesses in my teeth. You know, your your teeth get all fucked up when you're you're shooting coke and smoking crack and shooting heroin. And um I had all these infections in my mouth and there was this just horrible taste and I was always so scared to get 
near people because I didn't want them to smell what I would imagine my, my breath smelled like from that rot that was going on inside of me. So I just, I just felt like such a piece of shit and I was old enough and had bottomed out hard enough to understand that I didn't get high because my childhood was all fucked up and I got molested and there was incest and I can tell all kinds of sad stories. Um, I just don't, I don't think it's useful to anybody listening. I think what's useful for people listening to understand is, yes, I went through some horrific shit as a child, but that's not why I wound up where I wound up. I didn't get high because someone touched my naughty spot or because my parents were fucked up or because my parents were foreigners and whatever, all those stories that I told myself over and over again, I didn't get high for any of those reasons. I got high because it felt great. I got high because it felt fucking great and I'm selfish and my comfort comes before your comfort and your comfort. If I'm not living, uh, if I'm not living the way that I'm supposed to live, if I'm not, if, if I'm not being the man that God intended me to be, or if I'm not trying to be the man that God intended me to be, if I'm just me, Khalil, inside of my ego, I'm a petulant child and I'm stomping my feet and I want to feel good. And if I don't feel good, well, it doesn't matter that your feelings might get hurt or your feelings might get hurt or Chris's feelings might get hurt or Kelly's feelings might get hurt. I'm going to go get high. Well, I just have to take a moment real quick and thank the sponsors of this show on it, on it.com slash overcome. You can save yourself 10% on alpha brain or new mood or total human. Some of my absolute favorites. And I'm just so grateful for their support. This show wouldn't exist without them. So thank you so much on it for sponsoring the show. And also thank you for helping me get optimized total human optimization. I also coined something maybe cheesy, but I think it's kind of cute. It's total humanitarian optimization. Oh, they help me when I'm going into a long meeting for development work, community development. And I just love the way that I feel getting into that flow state faster, feeling like I stay there longer and have had so many friends try it and absolutely love it. If you haven't tried it, you can try it for free. There's an alpha brain free trial. I think you get 15 days of free alpha brain. So please, what's the risk? Put it to the test. I would love to hear your feedback on it. Try it. The world-class nootropic that uh, really helps increase clarity, your memory. And I think it helps me engage in conversation and just feel like I'm firing on all cylinders so much better. So on it.com slash overcome, you can try it for free alpha brain for free. And uh, you can save yourself 10% on all Onnit products at overcome or onnit.com slash every time. Overcome, every time. Onnit.com slash overcome. And at checkout, don't forget to type in overcome. Yep. Thank you so much. I, I, I realized that I realized that early on in my recovery that I was just fucking selfish and I wanted to feel good. And that's why I got high. And how how I learned that was because I developed this voracious appetite for people who had become successful against all odds. Kelly's one of those people. Mm. It was amazing to get to meet him. And Rick, you know, Rick Rubin, we talked about earlier, is, you know, that dude was meditating twice a day at 14 years old and and being 
not sober, but like, you know, while all his friends were smoking weed and acting fools, he was meditating and doing TM twice a day. And here's an awkward Jewish kid from, I think, Brooklyn, um, who didn't play an instrument and, you know, didn't quite fit in and it was overweight and kind of, you know, not like some hot looking white Abercrombie and Fitch looking kid, you know, who was the varsity football captain or whatever. Rick had his challenges and, um, and I, I admired people that were underdogs. So I mm. was watching a documentary, um, probably the third or the fourth time about Oprah. And the first time I watched it was when I was coming down off of heroin really, really bad back in 2001. I cleaned up in 2003 and I was rewatching the documentary on Oprah and, you know, here this, here, this girl was born black during a time when being born black really, really was a mark against you. She struggled with her weight. Uh, she was raped by one of her relatives. Mm. She was repeatedly sexually abused. She had a child when she was barely a teenager and Oprah didn't smoke crack. Oprah didn't shoot dope. Oprah didn't walk around going, my my girlfriend abandoned me. My mom abandoned me. And my childhood was terrible. If you knew about my childhood, you'd understand why I'm sticking a fucking needle in my arm. She didn't say any of those things. Oprah went to work. Oprah educated herself. And Oprah went against all odds being black at that time in America when it truly was like absolutely a mark against you. She rose up and she became Oprah and she helped a billion people live better lives. She inspired a billion people and me, I smoked some cigarettes. I smoked some crack. I shot some dope. I made a little bit of music that was halfway decent, but for the most part, what a complete fucking waste of a life, mm. a life that was just given to me. The greatest gift of all, the gift of life. Mm ambulatory arms and legs that work and you know somewhat articulate and not that smart but i had a voracious appetite for reading so i was able to communicate really well you take that plus what i learned on the streets and you know god blessed me with whatever he blessed me with and even though it didn't look like what i thought was the the recipe for success look what happened yeah <laughs> yeah it's awesome it's fucking crazy <clears throat> yeah it's it's inspiring, and I wonder if you could take us through. Well, for listeners that that don't necessarily understand addiction, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you said you watched that documentary when you're coming off of heroin. Mm, yeah, kicking. Yeah, like what is what is that like for somebody um, that's never been through it? What is kicking? what is the withdrawals? Oh fuck! It's the I mean, take the worst flu that you've ever had and times it by 10, and then throw in the feeling of the loss of a loved one, whether it, that would be a, an animal, a, a, you know, a cat, a dog, something that you loved, or a sibling, or a lover, a parent, um, the worst flu you've ever had times 10 with that intense, intense um, sadness and um, just fucking hopelessness. Mm. Like I lost my mom a year and a half ago, and I was thinking about that when you asked the question, because the sadness was on par with that. Because when you're kicking, when you stop, when you go cold turkey or you go clean or you know whatever, you don't have to go cold turkey, but when you're going through that type of, that particular time was cold turkey, but when you're going through that shit, 
you did lose your best friend, mm. right? I don't know what your drug of choice was. Mine. Oxy. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. opiates. Yeah. yeah. And opiates are a very particular kind of demon because they, they will wrap their arms around you mm. and they will make you feel like God is hugging you. It is the most intense, um, I don't know, comparatively speaking, I was shooting Coke with the opiates, but but in terms of in your midbrain, your pleasure center, like, I don't know if anybody's ever quantified, like, it's just, it's like nothing else. And I'm not, I'm not glorifying drugs at all. I'm just saying, yeah. like, I smoked some weed when I was a kid. I took some pills when I was a kid. I, you know, did handfuls of the club drugs throughout the 20s, the ecstasy and the ketamine, the GHB, all <laughs> that stuff. But my God, the the first time, the first time I really did heroin, um, it was like nothing I, I had ever felt before. And it was something that I never wanted to be without again, because I was walking around an imposter. I was walking mm. around pretending I was this cool guy. I was pretending I was tough, which is fucking laughable. Um, I was thinking about that on the way over here because you're like a <laughs> champion UFC fighter. And like, I'll bet growing up, I started just as many fights and I'm the biggest pussy you'll ever meet. I cannot fight. I am like the worst, but I hung out with all these guys that were like you, <laughs> these big giant, like Polish guys and, you know, German kids. I, I had lived. a friend like you that always start them and then have me. That was me. <laughs> oh my God. I, I must've set a record for, for starting most fights that I could never, you know, what did my friends friend used to say? Stop, stop fucking writing checks with your mouth that your ass can't cash, cash or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a real, <laughs> I was a real shithead. Um, yeah. Coming down, uh, losing your best friend, losing that feeling. Um, you know, I spent years finally, 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 I spent years comfortable. Mm. I spent years under the blankets of the opiates and the rush of the cocaine and, you know, all the other stupid shit that I was supplementing with, you know, the Xanax, the Soma, the, the whatever. Um, I spent years in that state of comfort where I didn't feel any pain. I didn't think about how much I fucking hated myself and I wanted to die. And all of a sudden that was gone. And so I was grieving and I was physically ill. And the kicking thing, I don't want to kick your table, but the kicking thing comes from when you're coming down off opiates for anybody that's not gone through this, when you relax your body synthetically for weeks, months, years, and then you stop, your body doesn't know how to relax. So literally you kick yeah. your legs, kick out un involuntarily. They kick and your hands do that mm -hmm. and you're jerking and you can't sleep. And, and it's, it's the, the fucking, fucking scariest thing. thing. The first time you go through it, it's the scariest thing because you don't really know what's going on. Obviously the runny nose, the runny eyes, the sneezing, the incessant sneezing, but the, the, the physical, the cramping and mm -hmm. the nausea and the depression and the cravings are like, fuck man it's so gnarly it's yeah. so gnarly yeah i think uh whenever i was going through withdrawals it would feel like i was going to sweat through the bed mm -hmm. and i was going to like kind of shake the mattress off the bed frame basically yes. and food was falling off the fork yeah and um so when you said it has someone quantified it i i don't know if you knew that i got out of treatment on december 23rd of last year okay so i had relapsed i had to go back to treatment it was my second time going back okay and or second time going 
And it was a much, much better experience the second time through. I'm 146 days sober today. Amazing. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And actually today, uh, Amy and I were in meditation earlier today and it's the two year anniversary. So this is really special to me that even when I texted you, you said, I got time Wednesday. Um, because today's the two year anniversary of my second suicide attempt. Wow. So it's kind of my rebirth day. Great. Where I woke up from April 5th to April 6th, where I woke up and started a new journey for mm. a new life. And, but I remember at treatment, well, I don't want to skip over that too much. I'm very, very grateful to be here today. Yeah. Amen. Today with you. Yeah. Uh, today with Amy, uh, uh with, with our listeners. listeners. And I wasn't, I wasn't familiar. I, I didn't know that part of your story. I didn't know about the suicidal ideation. Yeah. Cause that yeah. was, that was from, for me from 12 years old until 19 years old, that was like the goal. Yep. I was just too much of a pussy to do anything about it. So finally, late, late in life, I think I was 31 years old when I had chemical courage. That's when I actually did take my own life and was found and brought back by defibrillator and mm. went through a fucking hellacious experience. But suicidal ideation is it's not that it's not really something that you can explain to people because it's just it's a whole other thing. Yeah. For me, it's. It's weird because it, the times that it has come in, I would go to drinking or using mm -hmm. to try to numb that or escape that. And then when I get off of it, it hits me like a Mack truck yep. even harder yep. because I think the chemical imbalances in your brain, mm -hmm. uh, I think you're normally on an average day, your dopamine levels at like close to a 40, whatever okay. the measurement is, it's okay. a 40. On the best day ever, they say if you got married, got promoted, you had the best sex, mm. it's just the best day of your life. You um, Great workout. You would only be at a 50 okay. of like the dopamine measurement. But whenever you introduce something like marijuana, it goes up to like a 600. When you introduce like, uh, I think an opiate, it goes to like a thousand. If it's like a methamphetamine, it goes up to like a 1400. Wow. But on your best day ever, you're only at a 50 naturally. And then whenever you go cold turkey- your dopamine drops down to a 10. This was on like uh, Addiction 101 on YouTube or something like that. I've never like that, heard that. that. I mean, it makes perfect sense, and but it, I've it, never heard someone quantify it. Yeah, and it can take up to two years to get it back up to 40 to 40 just after the addiction. Yeah. So you, you'll have these pause, these post-acute withdrawal syndromes yes. uh, for 90 days, six months, up to two years. Right. And, and that's so, why most people go out yep. right before 30 days or yep. right before 90 days yep. or right before 18 months. That's why that 18 month chip was like, no one ever got the 18 month chip at whatever 12 step meeting I was at because most people go out. Yep. But someone told me, someone told me, they didn't tell me that, but they told me that it would take 18 to 24 months to rewire my brain. And whoever that person was, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, because I was... I mean, no, no joke. Like I would, I was staying at this guy's guest house. He was letting me, I was like homeless for like three years into my recovery, but it was fancy homeless. It was like sleeping at my, <laughs> yeah, sponsor's, my sponsor's house, house which yeah. was in Malibu or sleeping in people's guest houses while they were doing construction. Cause they felt good having someone there to like watch over the thing. That particular place, uh, had no electricity, but I didn't give a shit cause it had, a, had a, had an ocean view, but my sponsor at the time, um, I was driving him fucking crazy because I kept telling him like, you know, there's somebody following me. There's somebody following me. And he's like, nobody's following you. He was super gentle with me. 
And uh, and then this guy showed up. Um, hopefully he never hears this, but this guy showed up <laughs> from Boston and uh, from like Dorchester, Southie, Boston, like tough fucking guy. And uh, called me Khalil. Couldn't say Khalil. Called me Khalil and um, had a real edge to him. And um, didn't really say why he came out, just sort of showed up in Malibu, started going to meetings, worked on the big dig, had like 22 years sober. And um, he's like, hey, Khalil, tell me about uh, tell me about this fucking hike. You know, I've never been hiking. I want to I want to go on that fucking hike with you. And I'm like, cool. And I kid you not, we're not even like a third way up the trail. And I'm like, oh man, they sent him. I wonder at what point is he going to push me off? And the entire hike, I kept like bracing for him to push me off. Because in my mind, what my ego told me was that this dude from Dorchester that just showed up out of nowhere was there to kill me. And that was a common thing. Like that was as real to me as as anything as you guys are sitting in front of me i would wake up in the middle of the night i would open up the refrigerator um i would i would look to see how they had twisted the jar and where they would put the poison i would check the locks on the door 10 12 15 times a night you know how it is you can't if you're kicking opiates you can't fucking sleep anyway and my mind would just race and like oh that person's going to send someone to kill me or the cops are after me, or maybe it's the, at one point, like it was, you know, the fucking aliens and the government and the cops and everybody was working together and they were all going to kill me. It took a year and a half for that shit to go away. And I'll tell you the point of all this, I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but I'm living in that guest house and it's the middle of the night, can't sleep. No big deal. It's how it was every single night. There's no electricity. So you know, I would have to get up and like light this candle, but I heard rats inside the air mattress and it freaked me the fuck out because I had a really bad experience when I was homeless and I had rats all over me and I was so fucking high that I couldn't move and I was so scared they were going to start like fucking eating my face and I'm laying there and I'm listening to the rats and at a certain point I built up the courage to like jump up off the air mattress and light the candle and called my sponsor, woke him up at like three o'clock in the morning and I'm crying and I'm like, there's fucking rats, there's rats. I must be from the construction and there's rats. And he's just like, calm down. Like, what's the pro? Where are the rats? I'm like, they're inside my mattress. And he's like, they're the, the air mattress that I gave you. And, and I, I said, yeah, they're inside the air mattress. He's like, how would rats get inside? I'm like, Robbie, the fucking rats are in there and they're going to fucking bite me. And they're going to, and I was just, I was spinning. I was Ooh. spinning. And uh, he goes, God damn it, hang on, and hung up on me. And like 10 minutes later, woo, here he comes racing up. He drove a Porsche. Um, there's another story to that, but he comes racing up and gets out of his car and he's got his fucking flashlight. And he's like, come here. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And he goes, come here. He goes, turn the goddamn lights on. I'm like, there are no fucking lights. And he's like, you know, puts his flat. He thought this was like, you know, rats outside the house or whatever. And I'm like, no, they're inside the air mattress. He's like, they're not inside the mattress. He's like, show me. And I go over and I like push on it to, you know, to make them move or whatever. And they didn't move. And he goes, where's the rats? He was being mean at this point. He was always very gentle up until that point. And 
I'm like, I, I don't know, but they're in there. And then I'm like, wait. And I thought if I lay on it, then they'll start moving again. So when I laid on it, I don't know if you guys ever slept on an air mattress before. They mm -hmm. make sounds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I turned those sounds into rats that were going to eat me in my Ooh. sleep inside my head. And Robbie fucking grabbed me, got a little bit rough with me, and he sat me down. He turned the flashlight off. He undid the air mattress. He rolled it all the way up to prove to me. And as he's doing it, I was having a very sobering moment where I realized like, oh fuck, I think I just imagined that whole thing. And then he put his hand on my shoulder and he started crying. And he goes, I gotta tell you something and this is gonna hurt. And I'm like, okay. He said, Khalil, no one's coming to get you. I'm like, how do you know? He said, because you're not that important. No one cares about you. You're a homeless ex-junkie. If people were going to kill you, they would have killed you when you were living on the streets. You're not that important. No one gives a shit about you. You've got to let this go. And there was something about that moment where it's not that I never had a paranoid thought again, or I never, I mean, fuck man, I'm coming up on 19 years there's still sometimes when i'm like driving and i see a blacked out suv behind me and it's tailing me where i start <laughs> to like get a little bit crazy you know um i no longer think people are gonna push me off a hike to kill me because they've been flown out by the whoever um but yeah my my brain was fucked up for the mm. first 18 months of my mm. life and someone told me that. Someone said it's going to take 18 to 24 months until you can look at a hot fudge sundae or a beautiful girl or a beach or whatever it is and to begin to feel um, genuine pleasure before you're going to be able to really derive any type of meaning out of moments that make most people happy. You've depleted your system so much that you're not going to be able to feel that stuff for a long time. So just put your seatbelt on. It's okay. It's going to get better, but just know that it's going to, you get the pink cloud, you know, in the beginning, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to fucking stay sober forever and I'm going to cure cancer <laughs> and I'm going to fucking start my band again and I'm going to get a record deal and I'm going to, and then the pink cloud kind of pops a little bit and then reality sets in and it's like, wow, man, I'm fucking 34. I'm a high school dropout. I'm a fucking loser. I'm ugly. I look like shit. I can't get a job. I'm a convicted felon. No one wants to hire me. Right. I'm cleaning fucking people's apartments and washing cars and washing dogs. But you know what, Justin? Had I not gone through that, I I wouldn't have this Cheshire cat smile on my face Ooh. right now. I wouldn't be able to appreciate. There's no way you can appreciate that sunrise or that sunny day. Have you not been through some bad winters and some dark nights? Wow. That's so true. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. Um, thank you. It's really, really meaningful. It's powerful. And one more quantifiable thing that I had heard at treatment and I know you had, did you go to treatment once or? Uh, technically twice, but twice. yeah, once. Okay. Well, uh, my, once when it stuck. Well, no, I, I my ex-girlfriend, the character in the book named Jennifer, the girl in real life that she represented, um, her dad found me just you know just shit everywhere and blood everywhere and i had been writing in blood on the walls and like they were out of town they were in europe for three and a half weeks and he found me with the 
syringes everywhere and that the water had been shut off. The electricity had been shut off. This is back when we still had money and we had an apartment. And, um, I, I, you know, opiates, you know, you can't shit for like a week at a time, 10 days at a time. I had had, I had some shit lodged up inside of me and kept going to pavilions to buy boxes of fleet enemas. And normally that would work. And this time nothing would work. I'm like putting fucking coconut oil. I'm the fleet enemas. I'm, I'm doing hands. I'm trying everything. And it was so painful for anybody who's never been truly constipated. Not like you haven't shit in a couple of days, but like you haven't shit in a couple of weeks. Like it hurts so fucking bad. You can't imagine. And out of desperation, I had grabbed a pencil because I was trying to get it with my finger and it kept slipping. Oh. So I grabbed a pencil and I figured if I can get the pencil in and I could, I can get it to, to come, come out. And, and when I was doing, doing that, it slipped and fucking punctured mm. my rectum. And so when, when her dad found me, when I say blood, buttholes bleed, you know about foreheads bleeding because yeah, you're yeah, a fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Buttholes bleed pretty bad too. Probably worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's their veins. I mean, yeah, that's what you're, yep. that's what, yeah. And I fucking bled out. Like you can't imagine. He found me like that and he stuck both. He was so scared. He stuck both of us in treatment down in Laguna beach. Um, and just like threw down his credit card, stuck us both in there. I lasted like five days. Mm. I just, there was no fucking way. Well, I wonder if this second uh, time stuck though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> here I am. The, the thing about cravings, why you might've only lasted five days, because this was another quantifiable fact that they have studied human brains and they took three different types of people and they had one study that were people that were dehydrated and they hadn't drank for like three days, five days, mm. something like that. And the thirst of water. Uh, and they measured that and put it on a scale. And they okay. basically said that someone dying of dehydration, mm -hmm. that craving is about the size of a baseball. Okay. Um, and then they took someone with hunger pangs of three or four weeks. They hadn't eaten. Fuck. And that was the size of a basketball, like uh, on this scale. And... So they were doing cravings and then they took like opiate addicts. I think it was opiate. It might've just been addicts in general, but they put them in a group and they scanned their brains and they then put this on a scale in comparison to a baseball for craving water and a basketball craving food. What do you think the size of the craving would be for someone that's going through withdrawals? I mean, definitely bigger than both. I would say- Twice the size of both a watermelon, a watermelon. Yeah, it was the size of a baseball field, in scale comparison. Oh. Which, which I, I when I heard that I, that blew my mind. But it, man, I've I've I haven't experienced true hunger. But living in Africa, I've I've been around. I have been hungry, and I have been dehydrated. But like nothing, I can't really put it on a scale of like the cravings for drugs when you're going through withdrawals to like mm. try to fix the withdrawals. And they use this in comparison, this doctor, I think it was a Ted talk. And he was basically saying, if you ever wondered why someone going through addiction might do some of the things that they do, it's not necessarily because they're morally corrupt or they're a terrible person. It's because literally their brain's been hijacked. Right. And this craving so big. Right. That it's a priority for survival. 
And it's more important than literal. We can have brain scans that show it's more important than food and water. So hence me blowing all those dudes for drug money. Now, I hope you guys aren't judging me and wondering if I'm gay. Uh, it, it, it does say somewhere that if you're getting paid, you're not gay. So that's what, that's what my pimp told me. Kidding. I not have a pimp, but I definitely suck some dicks. <laughs> definitely suck some dicks. Oh, yes. Wow. Well, I wonder, you have some, some powerful stories that I would love to hear, and especially Amy and our listeners. But I'm thinking about it. You, you just shared the story about your sponsor. And I've heard a couple of meaningful names that you've shared about. And there was, uh, I believe, a woman named Sherman. Oh, God, and yeah. what are, <laughs> maybe you could share some of those meaningful moments and how yeah. that's kind of helped you in this, in this journey to get where you're just, at now. Just, I mean, they all represent like amazing human. Sherman is just an amazing human being. She's just, when I was strung out, and successful, like when I had a band and I had an apartment and I had a girlfriend and I was just in the, that honeymoon phase of, you know, when you're first doing hardcore drugs and you just feel like you're part of some elite club, Lou Reed, David Bowie, Sid Vicious, you know, Picasso was an opiate addict. I mean, there's so many people that you, your ego begins to tell you that you're like, you know, mm. Jim Morrison, Keith Richard. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And I was in that phase and I had uh, a cat at the time, Cornish Rex cat, uh, two cats, sorry. And, um, and she was pregnant and she gave birth, um, but the cats weren't drinking the milk. And I could tell something was wrong. I could feel something was wrong. I think is probably a better way of describing it. I could feel something was wrong. Like I saw these little things. I know they're supposed to be like nursing off the teat and it's not happening. And you know, something felt wrong. And so I asked my neighbor and my neighbor was just horrified. Like, f look at this fucking idiot junkie, like irresponsible, like, you know, cat pregnant gave birth. She's like, call Sherman. Uh, or call Sherman's. And I'm like, call Sherman. She's like, yeah, call Sherman's place. Talk to Sherman. And so I called up, fucked up out of my mind. I'm like, hello? You know, yeah, I got this cat. And it's not, they're not feeding. She's like, what? She's like, first of all, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, why do you talk like that? And I'm like, I'm fucked up. I'm a heroin addict. And she starts laughing. And she goes, no, really? Is there something wrong with you? And I'm like, no, really, I'm a fucking heroin addict. And she's like, let me get this right. You're a heroin addict that has a hairless cat and the <laughs> kittens aren't feeding off the teats and you're concerned. I'm like, yeah. She's like, what is your fucking address? And I gave her my address and she showed up and she walks in. She's this little Jewish lady and with these giant tits. And she, I open up the door and she goes, Jesus Christ, you weren't joking. I had like platinum hair and like guy liner on. I think I probably even had sunglasses on, you know, like in the dark. And she like pushes me out of the way. She finds the cats. I could see she was a little bit panicked. She, she's like, grab me some washcloths. And I didn't have any washcloths. So we got towels and she warmed them up under warm water. And then she like held them as compresses on each one of the cat's mm -hmm. teats. The nipples were engorged or the teats were engorged and the milk wasn't able to come out. 
And so she like did that, did that. Then finally some milk came out and then she hand fed, you know, like put each kitten on each teat and essentially, you know, she saved these cats lives and she asked me a million questions because she had no, no idea about drug addiction or anything like that. And she was just like, why wouldn't you lie? And I'm like, for what? She's like, why would you tell a perfect stranger that you were a heroin addict and you were on heroin? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't know there was another option. Should I have told you, you know, I had a speech impediment? I don't know what you're getting at. And she's just dying laughing. And she's like, I'll be back tomorrow to check on them, but they should be fine. And we developed this friendship. I disappeared for a couple of years. I became homeless. I went completely fucking insane, you know, off the reservation. Fuck, that's probably not a politically correct term. I apologize to any American Indians if that's some way uh, offensive. I don't even know what the fuck off the reservation means other than insinuating. I lost my fucking mind. I went I went crazy. I, I, I lost I lost my mind. And um and when I resurfaced um, nobody wanted anything to do with me and rightfully so I, I had, I had behaved like a real piece of shit. And like I said earlier, it was behaving without a moral compass. And I was like that guy that would show up at your house. Cause you guys felt bad for me and you would let me in to crash there. And then you would wake up in the morning and like, if you had laundry money or like a change thing that you had been saving your change for like three years, I was that guy that would fucking, you know, take your change. Like I, I, I wouldn't hurt somebody or harm somebody, but I'd steal their fucking laundry change or I would steal their kids, you know, piggy bank, or I was just like a piece of shit acting like a piece of shit. And so nobody wanted to have anything to do with me. Um, my sponsor was like, look, you, you, I wanted to get out of my sober living. I fucking hated my sober living. Um, this was just like icky and hot. And I was in the room with three dudes and I get it, you know, yeah. fucking guys <laughs> cranking one off. And like, anyway, yeah. so <laughs> I've been my, in three. So, yeah. So my, my sponsor, my sponsor said, you know, I'm going to go against my better judgment. I'm going to let you stay at my place for a while, but you have to have a job. And I'm like, well, I'm washing your cars and I'm cleaning apartments. He's like, no, 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 no. This is where you put your big boy pants on. You get a real job. You need to go to a place and they need to hire you and you need to get a real job. And I literally didn't know what the fuck to do. And so I went to Sherman's and I showed up and she cried. She saw how I looked and she cried and she pulled me in and she hugged me. And, um, and then she patted me down because she knows I'm half Palestinian. So she wanted to see if I had any bombs. She was joking. She was being a smart ass. Um, she just texted me by the way, two days ago and oh, asked great. me if I was still throwing, uh, rocks at her, uh, people's tanks. Oh. Um, she's Jewish. Yeah. Um, so, um, I probably just offended a bunch of other people now too. Uh, so, so- Anyway, she took me in and she was so scared I was going to go use that she wouldn't actually like give me a paycheck or give me like a lump sum of money, but she gave me $20 a day and she would buy me a medium pizza, uh, a medium barbecue chicken pizza with no chicken on it because she's like big animals rights, you know, whatever. And she wanted me to at least pretend I was a vegetarian and she bought me a pizza, a pack of cigarettes, a Diet Coke, and she gave me $20 a day. And that's like how I began my journey. And then Lou Gossett Jr. came in to get his dog's groom there. And Isn't he like an Academy Award winner? He Something is, like yeah. Wow. Yeah, and an amazing man. And he could see that I was down on my luck. I wore this big rubber apron and and just was covered in dog hair and and people that I used to know had come in that morning and they were like pointing and laughing. And it fucking hurt so bad because there was a moment where 
it kind of seemed like I was on my way to making it, you know, I had management deal and we were showcasing and to go from that to like three years later, you're cleaning golden retrievers, anal glands, you know, squeezing their anal glands and cleaning them and you're covered in shit and dog hair and like people from the community are dropping their dogs off and fucking laughing at me like that's why i was so adamant that i wanted our buddy to get a mick job just get a fucking disposable job stop with this career shit just go get a disposable job because i needed that humility mm. and lou came in and he's like you know how you doing young man he's just like that he'd say that to anybody and i'm like I, I, i'm okay and he's like what do you mean you're okay and uh just i'm just going through some tough times or whatever and he's like he's like get a pen and paper he's like six foot six maybe taller and I didn't know who he was. I had no idea who he was. I'm I'm so fucking ignorant. I I thought he was a basketball player just because I'm from Ohio and dumb. You know, he had a convertible Bentley and he was a really tall black dude. And I made a stupid racist assumption that he was a basketball player. And um, he wrote down his name and his address. And he said, come to my house tomorrow morning. I'm going to give you some work. I'm going to help you out. So it was people like uh -huh. Lou, Cindy Landon, which is Michael Landon's video, Mike video, Michael Landon's widow um, from Little House on the Prairie. You remember yeah. that show? Yeah, his widow, Cindy, is just this amazing, amazing philanthropist. She hired me to run errands for um, another woman, the uh, uh, Pietra uh, Thornton. Um, she came in. She had a couple of boys. She wanted me to come like help clean up after their dogs and, you know, like teach the kids how to boogie board. And there was just all these people that like, because I was putting forth an effort, they wanted to help. Mm. Um, and it was amazing. I, I, I went from like really feeling sorry for myself and thinking that I was just like fucked forever to kind of like, man, I can eat like eat good food now and, um, and like get myself some clothes and, you know, do well, you think it was, it was more, more than just putting, putting forth some effort that they, they saw? Like, like was, was your, true. did you have some, some sort of mindset or attitude or anything else that maybe shined through or something that they saw? So that's a great question. So Cindy Landon really felt bad for me and she got me a laptop and gave me a check through her business manager and said, you have to get some proper clothes. You can't. You can't walk around like that. Like you're a man. You have to like, you can't wear jeans that are all ratty and gross and t-shirts mm -hmm. that are all ratty and gross. So, and she gifted me the secret. Um, it was a DVD. Mm. And because I was so bottomed out and truly conceded to my innermost self that I'd fucked my life up beyond repair, it seemed, um, there was something about the secret as hokey as it was and maybe it's because I was naive, but I not only believed it, I like fucking memorized it. I mean, I watched that. I didn't have anything else to watch because I didn't have a TV, but she gave me this laptop and it fit the DVD fit inside of it. And I just watched it over and over and over. And I used to fall asleep to it. And I used to do exactly what it said, which was visualize. So stupid, but I used to visualize myself driving a Volvo. <laughs> That was my dream car. I mean, I mean should have been a little higher. But Volvo? Volvo, yeah, yeah. I wanted a Volvo SUV. That was like my dream car. And there was this there was this girl that worked at uh, at a smoothie shop that I used to just like think that was the most beautiful girl ever. And she really was. And I used to just like picture myself holding her hand and driving this Volvo through the canyons. And um, I pictured myself 
like healthy and I pictured myself um, happy. I just did whatever the secret said. Mm. And then like any good addict, I then just like went crazy down the rabbit hole oh, of yeah. self-improvement. Yeah, I, I got Think and Grow Rich and I wore that book out reading it and I got Psycho-Cybernetics. I got The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles. Um, I, I dove back into Tony Robbins like I had never, I had bought some Tony Robbins shit. It definitely changed my life through just listening to a couple of things. I became like a Tony Robbins devotee. Like I got up every single day, seven days a week, and I would do my mantras. I would do my out loud gratitude list. Thank you, God, for this roof over my head. Thank you, God, for the clean water I get to bathe in. Mm. Um, I prayed fervently. I prayed nonstop. God, can you please be with me? I'm scared. God, can you please be with me right now? God, can you please hold my hand? God, please hold my hand. Please walk me through this day. I was so fucking scared. I don't even know what I was scared of. I was scared of going back to the streets. I was scared of like all the fucking like bench warrants that I never dealt with and all the like, like, you know, crashing my car and then leaving the scene. I, I was just fucking terrified. So I think to answer your question, um, because I was praying so hard and so often and because I was doing those walking gratitude lists and doing my little mantras, super silly if I think about it now, but like um, every day and every way I'm getting stronger and stronger. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you know. <laughs> oh my God. No. So, so I did, did that shit and I would do it like while I was washing the dogs, while I was cleaning the apartments. So I think- what people saw was like a spark. There was like mm. a spark in me that they saw something good, even though when I looked in the mirror, I looked at an ugly old man that had failed at life. I think they saw something differently. Well, I think, I think what you're kind of sharing is they were attracted to the spark they saw just like you would root for the underdog. They yes. saw this spark in the underdog. And they could get behind that. They could get excited about that and they could help fan that flame in mm. that spark or in that ember in that, and, and try to help that fire grow as you were doing it yourself. You were tending to your own fire yeah. day in, day out, working to make sure that that fire didn't go out. So I think people oftentimes want to help those that are already helping themselves. Mm. And yeah. if, if, if they saw that in you, then that's easy to get behind. Wow. And um, so it was you doing the work mm. um, and going to the meetings and doing the 12-step stuff and looking to help others. And so, I mean, that gets me excited. I was a guy that jumped into the secret. I was like 21 years old, wanting to be in the UFC or 19, wanting to be in the UFC. And yeah. then at 21, I was on the Ultimate Fighter TV show. Wow. And I was doing that stuff. But I think to get it back to your story, I think there's a story almost like the secret, but that involves uh, a wallet. You were in on your journey. You oh were God. Yeah. Wanting to, wanting to start, you had a dream yeah. maybe, maybe to start a smoothie shop with the smoothie. Bay. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> oh, so can yeah. you share that with us? Jeff Lauks. Yeah. Fuck. I, I, I'm, he's coming to visit me. Um, I think in the next couple weeks he's coming, him and his wife, June are coming to visit me. Um, yeah, that was that was like that was out of a if I saw that shit in a documentary, 
<laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't believe it. If I saw it in a movie, I definitely wouldn't have believed it. You think it's cheesy? Well, that, that's funny because Chris, Chris, I'll, our friend, yeah. uh, he said that if this happened in a movie, he would think this was cheesy. This this kind of stuff doesn't happen in life. I, yeah, I wouldn't. Does. I wouldn't believe it. I would say that's bullshit. You know. Now, now, I was I was working my ass off, and I had saved every penny. And I was working out at that time. I was paddle boarding. I was doing yoga. I was no longer the like gross, like, you know, ex junkie, ex drug dealer um, that people had remembered. And by the way, there's people that still want to take my inventory and talk shit about me from stuff that I was doing 25 years ago, 20 years ago. It, it's still pretty common um, for anybody out there who has dreams of, uh, of, of massive success, you can do it. If there's anything that I can teach you is that if a fucking idiot like me can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> so you can do it, but get, prepare yourself to be lonely sometimes and prepare yourself to take some, some shit from people that you, you, you won't understand why they're tearing you down and character assassinating you. And I'll tell you why, because they're in pain, mm. they're in pain, but back to Jeff. So, I started my first business, I'm working my ass off. That girl is now my girlfriend. I drove a Volvo XC90. <laughs> I ended up driving Volvo XC90s for 16 fucking years. <laughs> yeah, I was dream just dream car. It was my dream car. Yeah. I don't know. I I saw That's one great. one day and and I was fucked up and I I was feeling really really low that day and I looked at that Volvo SUV and I just thought it, it was blue. It was this beautiful blue and it had these tan seats like that baseball mitt color mm -hmm. seats. And I was like, I'm going to get one of those one of these days. I got like six of them. Uh <laughs> well, that that's that's going back to this massive monumental change. This stood, as you're driving it, it stood as a monument of like that change. Yes. That transformation. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. So I'm driving the Volvo. The girl becomes my girlfriend. Um, I'm starting to like... You know, one of the things on my vision board and one of my my dreams was some of it was really stupid shit that I'm embarrassed about, you know, like the watch, you know, like I was, oh, I'm going to get a Rolex and that's going to somehow fix me, you know, like I did. And then it didn't fix me. And then I got another one and that didn't fix me. And then I got another one. And anyway, so <laughs> I got my first business going. I got like a bunch of stuff that was on my vision board actually happened. I was... I was in the process of spoiling the shit out of my mom. I just got into this like, I'm going to spoil the shit out of my mom so much that um, she won't even know what to do with herself. And I was in that phase, which luckily I got to do the last uh, uh, last 17 years of her life. Do you want to share that and um, set that up? Uh, because I know it's a very profound Story. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, 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 Amy, Amy's Amy's actually lost. lost her mom and her dad. Oh, so you know, um, yeah. I mean, I had a horrible relationship with both my parents, but my mom wasn't capable of loving me because my mom had um, uh, like Stockholm syndrome. My dad was so violent and so crazy that um, he just, she just didn't have the bandwidth to take care of me. And the way that I ultimately was able to make peace with that um, was by giving her the love that I wanted from her. It was very strange, and it it was uh, it was accidental. 
I mean, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Like, Listen. you got money, dude. Take care of your mom. She brought you into this earth, you know, regardless of what type of a parent she was. She had a rough life. So just take care of her. And I did. And the more I took care of her, the better I felt. It was really weird. She still pushed my buttons. She still drove me nuts. You know, she still complained, which is what moms do. Um, But yeah, I really, I bought her a house and... I sent her back to Poland for the first time in 39 years. She hadn't been back to Poland and she got to see her relatives and build a relationship with her relatives. And it wasn't that where she was, she was, yeah, born she was born in Gdynia, Poland. My during father, the Holocaust or before? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was, uh, uh, she was four or five when the Nazis first invaded Poland. Wow. And then, yeah, she went through hell. And then my dad was born in Palestine. So that's the weird fucking, you know, half Muslim, half Jewish race, Catholic shit that, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny when I was a kid. Right. Felt pretty weird. Um, so regardless of anything I ever do for the rest of my life, and I'm going to do some really amazing things. We're going to stay friends. You're going to stay sober. I'm going to stay sober. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to do some amazing things. Nothing I ever do, even if it's sell my company for a billion dollars, nothing I ever do will ever be able to compete with being good to my mom and taking care of my mom and providing for my mom and correcting the sins of my father and giving my mom the love that I so desperately wanted to get from her. Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was, it was really amazing. And it was one of those trips I had flown her out. I used to fly her out all the time, first class and put her up in the fancy hotel on the beach and buy her all this stuff that she would go home and then return and then fucking give the money away. Oh, that's a funny. So when I went back there, when she started getting bad, when she couldn't like take care of herself. And it was at that point where I had to place her into a home. Uh, I met her neighbors. I pulled up in her driveway and her, and this guy like came out and he's like, can I help you? And you know, me being little fucking five foot seven Khalil, I still have the temper and I can still start some fights. And I'm like, can I help you? And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, really like looking at me like he's going to cause me some harm. He was a big fucking dude. And he said, I'm looking out for my neighbor. What are you doing here? Mm. I'm like, that's my mom. He's like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and he like fucking bear hugged me as this big Polak dude. And um, and uh, anyway, in the process of getting to know the neighbors, one of the great mysteries of my life was I didn't know much about money, but I knew I sent my mom a lot of fucking money. I would send my mom like envelopes sometimes home with her, like, you know, five grand in an envelope just because it seemed like gangster cool, you know, thing to do. <laughs> my mom never had any money. And so I'm paying her bills. I'm, you know, flew her to Vegas one time, sent her home with another even bigger envelope of money. And she's always asking me for money. And uh, when I'm back there getting to know the neighbors and we're in the process of putting her in this home, uh, I said, man, I fucking forgot how nice people are in Ohio. And they're like, oh, yeah, yo, we're really, you know, we love everyone here. And I'm like, no, but it's like crazy. Like I took my mom to the, the uh, Stein Mart and to Fresh Mart and to Kroger as my mom would do this loop every day. She would go to like three different grocery stores every day. I said, you know, we walked in and like, they start cheering and like yelling out her name. <laughs> and she like looks over at her husband. She's like, oh, honey, oh, there's a reason why for that. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you know. And I'm like, no, I don't know. Enlighten me. 
And she's like, well, honey, your mom would give 20s to everyone. Anyone she would meet, she would <laughs> My fucking mom, who like lived below the level of poverty her entire life, would take this money and would go hand it out to like the dudes fixing the sewer or like go to the grocery store like, like she was Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I had no idea. And then it answered my question of where the fuck did all this, this money, money go, go to? But yeah. it's funny. And I, I love that. I love the fact that she got to do that. You know, I know what it's like to be able to like treat you, you know, or your girlfriend to a smoothie or, you know, do something nice for our buddy, Chris. Like I know what, I know how great it feels to do nice stuff for mm. people. So it's great that she got to do that. Fightforthegotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started. It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great. But opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our Fight Club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month, and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org. Join our fight club. I, I was really impressed even in the um, the nightly news thing that I watched on you. And when you said to serve is to rule, the part that really stuck out to me was like, uh, the, the guy laughed. He was like a Scottish guy that was interviewing you. Yeah. And you go, no, but I mean it. Yeah. Because I was so excited to get up and make you this smoothie. Yeah. And you, I could see a look in his eye. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, wow, this guy... This guy means it. Yeah. This guy's genuine about it. Like there is nothing I love more than putting a smile on people's face or or treating somebody to a smoothie and watching the reaction on their face. And by the way, because they're the best in the world, they're the best I've had. I appreciate that. I mean, I, mean it. I I I I believe they are, and I and I hope they are. I know the ingredients are, but man, I'll tell you, once the camera stopped, him and I, him and I, we had ourselves a fucking conversation, and let's just say. We have a lot in common mm. with that man. Holy shit. He did not go the traditional route, but my God, he he was a war correspondent. <laughs> and he shared with me that like when you're a war correspondent, there are things that you will see yeah. that you will never forget. He said, I will never for the rest of my life. I've been in therapy. I've dealt mm. with my own issues. He said, I will never recover from what I saw. Yeah, and and on that, I mean, I've I've seen some stuff. I lived overseas in Africa, and there's stuff that will come back to me in my dreams, um, or while I'm awake. And one of the things that also in that interview did with him was, or it might have been another one, but you went back. It was actually a different one. You went back to Skid Row and visited. Yeah, and I think it was your first time going back. 
Oh, and that was tough. you remembered the the smell. Yeah, and um, and just being back there, you had a physical reaction. You yeah, literally was, started to sweat. I was retching. I was I was like sweating and yeah. People, you know, homeless is a term that people love to throw around. Junkie is a term that people love to throw around. Um, I, I most of my homelessness was sexy homelessness, was comfortable homelessness, was sleeping at a friend's house or crashing on a girlfriend's, crashing in a girlfriend's apartment or sleeping on somebody's sofa true homelessness and i don't mean like even the latter part of my honeymoon phase where we did lose the apartment and we wound up living in hotels you know that's homeless as well but you still have a shower you know you still have some money to go you know whatever eat some taco bell or whatever didn't eat much but we still had that homeless homeless when you are fucked when you are homeless there is a smell that goes along with it. Um, I don't know how long it takes to create that smell, but I remember that smell. And uh, and it just fucking, it haunted me. And there's there's a hunger. There's all kinds of hungers. You know, there's the, there's the thirst that we talked about, the hunger for food, the craving for drugs. Um, you said hijacked. Um, which I love that term because that really truly can help people who don't understand addiction, what it's like to be, you know, imagine yourself on a plane and you're heading to Florida, go on spring break. And all of a sudden a bunch of dudes stand up with machine guns and they're like, guess what, motherfucker, you're not going to Florida. You're going to hell and we're going to hold a gun to your fucking head and there's nothing you can do about it. And when does that dude stop holding that gun to your head? When he's done holding the gun. Mm Addictions like that, you know, a, a moment of grace will open up. And when that moment of grace opens up, I hope you're one of the people that grabs that moment of grace and doesn't look back because mm. those moments are so few and far in between and just so fucking rare. Some people don't get any moments yeah. of grace and some moments like whatever his name is, it doesn't matter. But like a dude who was in a band that I loved and I kept seeing him at meetings and seeing him in different rehabs. I think he went to like 110 rehabs total. And then one day he fucking died. You know, how many moments of grace did that guy have? Mm. There's, there, there's guys that come back from the war and they don't ever get a moment of grace and they end up taking their own life. So if you get that moment of grace, please don't take it for granted. Yeah. Please don't take it for granted. Seize it. Hold on to it. Like a drowning man yep. seizes a life preserver. Don't yep. let go and know and know that it gets better and better and better. And there's the old timers are like, well, at first it gets better and then it gets weird and then it gets this. I don't don't listen to any of that shit. So let me let me tell you definitively, your life will get better and better and better and better. And what that's gonna look like, I have no fucking idea. Because you know, I do have the car now and the woman and the business and the bank account and all that shit. And I've flown around the world with the fanciest people on the planet. If you look at my Instagram, not so much anymore, but I still do it every now and then when I'm feeling a little fucking needy for some likes. But <laughs> if you look back, you see the private jets and you see the yachts and you see the penthouses and all that shit. I spent about seven years with all my fancy friends that I met, um, piggybacking on their vacations and piggybacking on their private jet trips and all that stuff. 
as interesting as that might look to somebody on Instagram who's never experienced something like that before, I will tell you the afternoon that I spent with my cats before coming over here today, talking to my cats as if they understand me because I believe <laughs> that they do, you know, yeah. talking to my little one, just explaining to them, like, listen, I love you. You're a good boy. But if you jump over that fence, you can't hang out out here and I'll buy all the trees and I've made the big sandbox for you guys. And me just communicating with that little perfect being or just shit, even the evening that I had last night with, with my woman going to uh, Taco Deli and having too much hot sauce and, and <laughs> laughing and going home and farting and laughing and <laughs> watching some mind numbing you know, housewives in New Jersey or something on television. Those moments are 10 times better than any fucking penthouse in South of France and San Tropez and Hotel Ducop, Eden Rock. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to do some more of that someday. I'm going to do, I'm going to do it on my own dime. Tagging along on people's vacations and posting about it on Instagram gives you a little bit of a soul sickness. You know, it's not, it's, it, it, it's not real. Yes, I was there. Yes, I was on those jets. Yes, I ate those meals. And yes, some of it was fun. Um, some of it was really fun. None of it's as fun as having peace of mind, being, being good with who I am, loving myself, accepting myself, the good and the bad, having genuine friendships, um, I don't know, going to see a fucking kiss concert or like going to see Alt J a couple weeks ago or treating, treating a plumber to a smoothie mm. and treating a supermodel to a smoothie. All those little neat experiences. That's what it is for me. That's what like, when I say your life is going to get better and better and better, I have no fucking idea. If somebody's goal is to like fly around on private jets, not that difficult, you know, go move to a rich area. Don't be a dick. Be of service, have something to offer, be interesting, be honest. And sooner or later, those types of people will probably start inviting you on some fancy trips. It ain't all what it seems. But much more importantly than that, develop good friendships with good people that lift you up, mm. right? I can tell you exactly who you are by looking at the five people that you spend the most time with. And judging from the woman that's sitting across from you and me, you're an awesome, amazing, wonderful human being. And, and our mutual buddy, Chris, and our mutual buddy, Kelly, and, and, and people just like that, uh, Aaron, yeah. uh, Alexander. Alexander. I mean, I see you around all these people, and it's just like, yeah, man, that's, that's the goodness. That's the, your yes. life getting better and better and better. Yeah, and you know, just, just real shortly, uh, man, I, this last four months or 146 days, like life is better than it's ever been. And it's more meaningful and I'm happier than ever. I'm more in love than I've ever been. And I just, I, I receive what you're saying and I hope anyone listening will receive what you're saying. Life does get better. Yeah. I mean, you almost ended it. I almost ended it twice. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I think about it now and like what, what wouldn't have happened, uh, if, if I had been successful and now I plan on being successful in other ways, hopefully making this the most meaningful podcast that, that, that adds value to people's lives Yeah, and, um, helps them. The, the name of the show is called overcome. Oh, great. Um, overcome with Justin Ren. And it's like you, me, we have overcome a hundred percent of our darkest days. Yeah. We now sure we get have. to share our love, shine our light with the world Yeah, and make somebody's life better yeah. as we make our own life better. And 
that's why I started this. That's, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. And before we miss it though, and we get comments and emails about what was the wallet story. Maybe I'll just Shit. ask like, yeah, sorry. So <laughs> no, you're good. I flew my mom out. I put her up at the Malibu beach Inn. we're having this amazing trip. Uh, we go to this restaurant called Joffrey's, which is like the, one of the fanciest restaurants in, in Malibu. And this, this, this is my mom, you know, my mom whose house was bought and paid for by her son. Everything's paid for no bills, no nothing. I'm sitting there and I'm watching out of the corner of my eye. What I hope to God is not happening. My mom is taking the bread out of the basket in the middle of the table and she's fucking wrapping it up and she's putting it in her purse. And we're at this like movie stars everywhere, rock stars, restaurant overlooking the ocean. And I'm such a fucking insecure egomaniac that I thought, oh my God, what the fuck, you know, what are you doing? And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, mom, like you can't do that. She's like, why not? And the waiter comes over because he thinks something's wrong. Nothing was wrong. She just gave him one of your 20s. <laughs> <No>. Exactly. <laughs> and um, he thought it was so cute. And he goes, well, let me go get you some more. And my mom's like, that would be just wonderful. <laughs> and I'm like horrified, but I got to bite my tongue because it's my mom. I got to have respect. So I'm not in a great mood. We go back to the house um, and I got to take her now, take her to the hotel. And I'm a little irritated about the whole bread basket wrapping up because like what the fuck is she gonna do like order you're staying at like some fancy you know five hundred dollar a night hotel like order room service i'm paying for it but my mom doesn't think like that my mom doesn't live like that my mom loves bread and you know there was a time in my mom's life when she would have done anything for a piece of bread my mom was in a work camp in siberia and two-thirds of the people that she was with died my mother was starving to death her entire childhood while she picked wheat with her bare hands and um so it's heavy it's heavy if you think about all that yeah. stuff but anyway so we're leaving we're going back i go to take a ride on pch and i see what looks like a giant wallet i'm like what the fuck so i pull over and you know when you're a junkie seeing a fat wallet it's yeah. like that's yeah. <laughs> like oh my god there is, there is a god <laughs> um <laughs> And I, I pull the car over, I jump out and I grab it. Yeah, it's this massive fat wallet and it's just cash oozing out of it and, and a bunch of other shit, receipts and cards and whatever. And before I could get any funny ideas about it, I just fucking threw it my glove box, locked my glove box, kept going. My mom's like, what was that? I'm like, nothing, don't worry about it. Take her back to the hotel, get back to the house, pull it out, look at it, pull out the driver's license. And uh, I'm like, God damn, why does this guy have so much cash crammed into his wallet? And why are all these receipts like, you know, and um, I tried to look the dude up. I, I couldn't find him. Uh, a dress on the wallet said Pacific Palisades. So next day I m made a little bit more effort. Like, I don't want this cash, you know, this wallet with all this cash sitting around. And I don't want to keep locking it in my glove box because if I forget and I go to get the car wash or whatever. So now I'm kind of like, okay, I got to find this dude. And... I couldn't find him. So out of desperation, I went down to the post office because you can take somebody's wallet, you can give it to the post office and they will mail it back to the person. That's what wow. somebody told me. Yeah. So I'm in line at the post office and I pull his license out one more time and I'm looking at it. And when I'm looking at it, I like look down and I see there's another license behind it. And I pull that one out and I realize I'm looking at his old license and the license that was behind it 
says whatever their address is. I, I know it. I'm not going to say it out loud, but I'm like, what the fuck? This guy lives like around the corner from me. So go back, go, you know, go, um, uh, how did I actually get his phone number? I'm trying to think of how I actually got his phone number. I think maybe when I had the proper address, it came up. However, however it happened. And when he comes here in two weeks, I'm going to ask him, but I'm like, dude, I got your wallet. I'm like, he's like, you're kidding me. And I said, no. And he goes, oh, and I said, I live right around the corner. I'm on Zoomerez. I'm at 6531 Zoomerez. And he's like, I'll, I'll be right over. And he comes over. Nicest guy ever. He's like, oh, my name's Jeff. I'm like, yeah, I, I know, <laughs> you know? And uh, he goes, well, I'll tell you what. And he goes to pull the cash. I'm like, no, 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 no. And he's like, you found my wallet. I want to give you the cash. I'm like, I understand, but I don't need your cash. I got money. As a matter of fact, I have more money than I know what to do with. When you make a statement like that, it's like the opposite of saying, I can't afford that. I'll never be able to afford that. I can't afford that. I'll never get a girl like that. I'll never have a car like that. You're praying for what you don't want. When you make a statement like, I have more cash than I know what to do with, you're telling yourself you're rich and you're attracting more abundance into your life. Mm. And he really liked that I said that. And he's like, well, that's just great. What, what's with all the goji berries and the maca and this and that? And <laughs> I said, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm really into all this stuff. You know, I brought myself back to life with all this and I love making smoothies. As a matter of fact, I want to open up a, a smoothie shop. And he's like, oh, well, I'll help you. And I'm like, no, dude, I just <laughs> want to give you your fucking wallet back. And uh, he goes, no, no, no. I want you to come over to our house and we're going to cook for you. And we have this amazing garden. I want you to meet our kids. And I'm just like, this feels like I'm in some fucking Brady Bunch episode or something. I'm dating myself. <laughs> and um, and he's like, uh, I can help you financially. I can help you open up your your juice bar. I'm like, no. I'm like, dude, you're awesome. Please take your wallet. Please take your cash. And he's like, okay, just promise me you're going to come over for dinner. I'm like, you name the night. He's like, Tuesday night. I'm like, great. So I brought my girlfriend at the time and we go over to their, their house. It's like the coolest thing you've ever seen. His wife is an architect and she designed it, but it looked like a fairy tale. It looked like it was literally out of some fairy tale, like fancy, cool like Hansel and Gretel vibe. Like, I don't know. It was just like the coolest. And you go to walk in and there's all these kids running around and, you know, barefoot and they have these summer dresses on. They're twirling around. <laughs> and he's like, oh, these are my daughters, you know, and the daughters are like grabbing us by our hands and we want to show you our garden. And they take us out. Totally Malibu. Dude, yeah. this garden, I've never in my life, and I don't know if I ever will see something like this again. This was the coolest, most enchanted garden I'd ever seen. They were growing goji berries. I didn't even wow. know that was possible, but obviously <laughs> it is. The blueberries, the goji berries, the strawberries, the massive uh, dinosaur kale, all this stuff. And we sat down and we had this whole totally organic raw meal. And again, he's like, listen, I talked to the neighbors and we all want to chip in $25,000 each and we wow. want to fund your juice bar. And I'm just like, <laughs> what is going on? I'm like, Jeff, I love you. You're amazing. I'm so glad we got to meet and become friends, but like, I don't need your money. I, I did, <laughs> but you can't do that. You can't do something good for somebody. And then, you know, it's like sponsoring somebody, then asking them for a loan. Like you can't do that shit. You know, it was, it, it just... It felt really good and I was really flattered and really honored. 
I ended up coming up with the money another way. I borrowed some money from a guy and I had my own money and we ended up opening up Sun Life Organics in 2011. And I, I just, I'll wrap that story up with this. From the moment that we opened, Jeff came in every single day. His wow. wife came in every single day. They brought their kids in. And I don't mean kind of, sort of, I mean seven days a week they supported us and they brought all their friends and the kids during the spring and the summer and the fall, they would bring us massive baskets of vegetables, mostly the kale and the spinach and all that stuff. And they would bring it to us and just gift it to wow. us. Yeah. So we would, we would have this amazing, like I would try to treat them to stuff. He would never let me treat to this day. He just, he gets angry. He's like, no, I'm here to support you. And we developed this friendship He's going to give you money when, one way or another. <laughs> exactly. We developed this sure. friendship. Support and, you. And then the greatest thing happened over the next six years, every one of those little kids grew up and every one of those little daughters worked at my shop. Wow. Every one of them. Wow. So to be able to employ his kids, to be able to meet all those neighbors that didn't even know me that were going to help me finance my dream. Cause that was my dream. I just wanted to have my own little juice bar and, and I did, and it took off and I eventually was able to let go of the other business, which was eating away at my soul. And today there's, uh, Summerlin, Nevada, AKA Vegas, um, will be, you know, by the UFC headquarters. Mm -hmm. So we're opening up right UFC there. UFC Performance Institute. Yes. We're opening up. What right number there. shop will that be? That'll be number you? 13. Wow. Yeah. So 13 and we were opening South beach, Miami, um, we're looking at places in New York right now. Um, there's just really, really fun, exciting stuff happening. And, and, and again, it just goes to show you that like, you don't have to be smart to be successful. You don't have to have skills to be successful. You just, I'm going to strongly suggest anybody, especially anybody suffering from alcoholism or addiction. I think getting sober is paramount. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, truly more intrinsically related to having abundance and prosperity and happiness than most people could ever fathom. You know, I, it's, it's a very, I've had a lot of friends recently. It's like the new trend to like go alcohol free. Right. Yeah. And then you watch their lives change mm. for the better and you watch their relationships change for the better. So yeah, I, I hope that I can bring a little bit of hope to at least one person who's listening, who thinks they're too old or they don't have the, the skills or the talent or whatever to, to build a life beyond their wildest dreams. Cause I gotta be honest, man, when I was newly sober for the better part of two years, when anybody would get up at a 12 step meeting and say, I'm living a life beyond my wildest dreams, I would just inwardly be like, bullshit. You're fucking lying. Like that's not true. You know, one thing that really did bother me, which wasn't true and people don't do it as much anymore, but there was a really popular thing 15 years ago, 16 years ago at meetings where old timers would say, and I'll tell you what, my, my worst day uh, in recovery is a, a thousand times better than any day when I was drinking or using. It's like, why would you fucking say that? That's not true. <clears throat> that is not true. If you are drinking and doing drugs, you are going to have days and moments that are fucking amazing, right? Yeah. Drugs and alcohol saved my life initially. And then they didn't. Mm. Then they turned on me. Then I got hijacked, like you said, 
You know, drugs and alcohol were a panacea for me when I was a kid. They really healed all my ouchies temporarily. Unfortunately, because of the spiritual nature of spirits, that's what they used to call mm-hmm. booze, right? Yeah. And drugs. Um, the, it, it's drugs or, or drugs can be incredible tools. I know people that have had absolutely profound transformative experiences uh, uh, taking ayahuasca yeah. or psilocybin or even MDMA or ketamine assisted therapy. I know people whose lives have changed forever. I know sober people whose lives have changed forever in a clinical setting with a therapist or with a shaman. Um, and I don't want to go too down, far down that rabbit sure. hole because I would never suggest that to anybody. Yeah. That, that's between you and your sponsor and you and God. But drugs can be an incredible tool. But if you fuck with them and you fuck with them long enough and it doesn't take that long, the rug gets pulled out from under your feet. The dude stands up on the airplane and puts a fucking gun to your head and says, guess what, motherfucker? You ain't going to spring break. And I don't, I don't, I don't wish that on anyone. And I'm so glad I got that grace from God to escape and i'm so glad that i was naive enough or desperate enough to listen to the secret i'm so grateful that i did pray so fervently that that little spark happened because that little spark then turned into the forest fire of the beautiful life that i'm living today do you Mm. still pray like that and do those things I don't pray like, you know, back then it was like, like holding on for dear life. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not holding on for dear life, but I definitely, you go to Zilker and you get up early enough in the morning, you will see a crazy old man walking around the neighborhood out loud saying, thank you, God, for the roof over my head. Thank you, God, for my sobriety. Thank you, God, for the clean water that I get to bathe with. And then I, and then, you know, then you'd throw in the fancy stuff. Thank you, God, for, you know, my amazing woman and the prosperity and abundance. Thank you, God, for the, for the massive abundance and prosperity flowing into my life quickly, easily, and painlessly um, from all directions. Mm. You'll, you'll see that crazy old man doing that <laughs> and it's working. It doesn't sound that crazy. Right? Yeah. It doesn't sound that crazy. <laughs> and I, I, I get to wake up in the morning and uh hear someone already downstairs looking at the mirror and saying can you share that with khalil what you say in front of the mirror oh i do reiki you, yeah. every day and what do you say well we say um we say it together a lot just for today i'm uh, at peace yeah. just for today yeah, i will work, work easy. easy just for today i show appreciation and gratitude and just for today i'm kind to all living things including myself Wow. And I say I love you. It's it's a Reiki mantra, okay. but I modified it because yeah. it has some negative words in there and I don't like to use any negative words. Sure. So I changed it around because they say I will not be angry or I will not anger or something. I was like, eh, I don't You don't need want that. those words in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just say I'll be at peace. Why not just switch it on around and take what we want? Right? It's so beautiful that you do that. and But it's also so hard. Like it sounds so easy, but you know, I went through that book, The Subtle... Uh, no, not the solar. Give me a f- I love that book. No, the book that uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life. Oh, Life Depends on, on It. Yeah. Yes. And I. W- He's got a name similar to you. Camille Robinson. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Amy gave me that book right before I went to treatment. Okay. And uh, that is so good. It's, it's life changing, yeah. but. The title. I think it was the fourth time that I was going through it. I did it physically once or twice, and then I did it on Audible a couple more times. It was the fourth time 
I was walking down the river that they call a lake here. <laughs> and I realized just like in my early recovery, oh, wow, I haven't done anything that he told me to do. Mm. I'm not looking at myself in the mirror and saying, mm. I love you. I didn't make my list. And I literally went back, I was living in, in a, the line hotel at the time, went back to the line hotel and I wrote down that, um, what does he make you write down? It's like not a mantra, it's a vow. Yeah, yeah a vow. vow. I wrote my vow to myself. And then I literally just like with my first time through the steps, did it like a homework assignment. I got up every single day. Because if I don't do that, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I got up every single day, you know, five o'clock, 5.15 in the morning. And I would go outside when I first started doing it, it was fucking freezing. There was something really brisk and refreshing about it. And I would walk across the street from the line hotel into the- um, The Statesman's right the, there too. Oh, the fairground? The, okay. There's like that courtyard. There's yeah. a building. Fairground. And, like, yes. Little. So I would go in there and underneath the canopy of those trees while mm. it was still dark outside and while I could, while it was freezing, literally like, <laughs> you know, 35, 40 degrees- and I would say, you know, I, I vowed to love myself. I vowed to truly accept myself. I vowed to, and I just would, would read it out loud, holding it, shivering. And then I would go and I would get my coffee. And then on the way home, I would do the, you know, I love myself. Mm. I love myself. Mm. I love myself. I love myself. Mm -hmm. and, and many times I start fucking crying for yeah. no reason, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I'd start crying for no reason at all. Mm. There's pain in there, man. Yeah. There's pain. You yeah. know, even from when you were 12 and somebody told you you were a fucking loser or somebody told you you were an idiot or whatever it was, like, we think that that passed through us, but we're not water. Yeah. We're, we're flesh. Yeah. The body keeps the score. The body oh, yeah. keeps the score. And, uh, the, the issues are in the tissues. Amy, Amy saw me. Yeah. <laughs> issues, are the issues are in the tissues. Oh my gosh. Issues are in the tissues. Yeah. It's yeah, true. Literally. Literally. Danny, Danny, Danny was dry needling me the other day and it fucking bent the needle. He was wow. dry needling my pec and it literally bent wow. the the reaction from my my pec was so strong it bent the needle. He's like, Holy shit, dude, you just bent the needle. The issues are in the tissues. Wow. And it's our jobs to 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 peel back those layers. You know, they they call it the peeling mm -hmm. of the onion, but it's like you just continue to get better, continue to get better. You know my thing is one percent better. And yeah. I obviously borrowed that from Kaizen, which is a Japanese philosophy. I think I borrowed it from the book Habits, and there's another book called The Power of Habits, whatever it is. Atomic Habits too. Yeah. yeah. I I get one percent better every day i love that one percent anybody can get one percent better yeah and going back to the mirror thing amy gave me the book and she said read that and i read it love yourself like your life depends on it and she goes why and i go uh and she goes because it fucking does right and i was like okay and then it wasn't until <laughs> maybe like the 10th or 20th time that i actually could kind of read it where i felt it you were watching me that time in front of the mirror mm. and i started started getting ready to read it and my lips just started quivering and kind of like my vow or what I had wrote actually Chris, mm. I started reading it over myself. I'll send that to you later. Okay. And, um, I read it to myself and then I just wept. Do you remember that? No. You don't remember I'm that? Sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. But I just started <laughs> but crying. But I'm glad. It cry, sounds really crying. good. It sounds really And good. it was, it was, it's finally sunk in. Yeah. And so now after she does, um, after we read or 
say the Reiki thing, the chant, like we'll sit, we'll look in the mirror at ourselves. It's such a strangely vulnerable thing to do to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I love you. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It's not, it's not as hard as, uh, when I was hanging out with the guys where I met Chris, that group, um, they wanted us to do the eye gazing with the the other guys. Oh yeah. It's tough. (laughs) Not my jam. Yeah. I would do it with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would do it at Sydney Crawford. Yeah, yeah. So I did that with Amy. Yeah. I don't blame you. That's that's actually we still do. whenever it ignited a flame in us. We were uh out in Sedona, we were at Aubrey's ranch and um we were doing this eye gazing with uh Stephanos. Mm-hmm. Oh great. And uh they had us do this thing and I we were across we were doing this like healing of masculine feminine kind of wounds and you would step forward and be seen if you experience a certain type of trauma and so step forward if you've been bullied i step forward step forward if you've been the bully step forward if you've experienced sexual abuse Mm. and i mean as many or i mean close to as many men as women step forward on the sexual abuse part or at least a lot and the women just i mean that that really i think what would you say meant a lot to some of the women that they weren't alone in it or it just opened their eyes to where some I of them started to weep and enlightening. Yeah, it's yeah. just about, we all go through the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. But we don't think so. We think we're but the we only don't. ones. We don't. Yeah, we think we're alone in it. And so this was like a unifying thing between all of us, men, women, just the whole group of like 158 people or so. And then they had us do the eye gazing and Amy was off to the right and we we're just kind of scanning uh, the women. And when I met eyes with Amy, all of a sudden my shoulders adjust. I'm a professional fighter, so I'm used to stare downs. Mm. And so I start looking at her and my lip starts quivering uh, because we stared for probably like a minute and a half, two minutes. An uncomfortably uh, long yeah. time, you know. How wow, yeah, 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 it's super uncomfortable. Lip super starts uncomfortable. quivering, a tear like, drips down off away. my eyes. I guess we'll just stare. Yeah, so wow. she was like looking into me or through me and uh, I looked away first. Mm. And so my mom says she's the only one to beat me in a stare down. <laughs> and wow. after that, I was like, who is that woman? I need to, I need to get to know her. That's how this whole thing started. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. In Sedona. And then I came down to do her show, um, here in Austin and I just never left. Wow. That was about a year <laughs> and three months left. ago. Yeah. Never left. Yeah. Oh. I paid, a year and six months. A year and six months ago. And I, I was paying rent up there and I just was like, maybe I'll get my stuff like seven, eight, <laughs> nine months later. Were you, were you at Cerrone's place? Uh, the training camp, Cerrone. No, no, no. I was actually in Oklahoma. Um, Oh, okay. I was at Rafael Lovato Jr.'s place. He's a world champ. And, um, I'd been up in Denver, but I was living in Oklahoma and I'd come down to visit and I was doing Amy's show, Abby's show and, uh, maybe Joe's or Joe's a little later. And yeah, I just was like, we went out on our first date and then I was like, I don't think I'm, I think I'm moving here. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I became an Austinite. I love that. Yeah. Oh. It's from a stare down and uh, <laughs> or eye gazing, which was uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't like. I mean, if it were, I don't want to look at strange dudes. If it were Stephanos, <laughs> I could do that because he's so he's damn handsome. handsome. Yeah, yeah for sure. I could. I could. Well, you are too. Maybe it'd be easier that. for me looking at you. Yeah, but not the guy that they had me with. You, you know, I thought y'all could vibe on this for sure, and this will help anybody listening because I'm well. Let's put it to me real quick. I'm 34 and making a comeback in MMA. Mm-hmm. They might bring the comeback fight here to Austin. Great. Which I'm really excited about. I was talking to the president of uh, the organization a couple weeks ago. Great. 
And, uh, but 34 years old, at least at heavyweights, I know the game, like you're in your prime at 30, mm -hmm. even early forties, mm -hmm. uh, there's champions at that level at that age. But a lot of the younger guys are retiring at 33, 34, 35, mm. uh, speed goes quicker than strength. Okay. Um, so heavyweights more about strength and, but for anyone that's feeling like, oh, I'm, I remember listening to you in one of the interviews and you were saying at 33, you thought life had passed you by. For sure. And I didn't think I knew it had. You knew it had passed yeah, you by. I, ha I had to make peace with that, that my life was going to fucking suck and that hopefully at some point, maybe I would get a girlfriend, maybe I would get an apartment. Um, and now at 52. 52. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At I didn't start Sun Life until I was 41. Wow. I didn't start, I didn't write my first book until I was... I think 46 is when it, it was when it came out. I opened up the yoga studio around that time as well. Um, I didn't move to Austin until 18 months ago. So I was like 50, 51 when I moved to Austin, left California after 29 years. You're never too old. Mm. You're never too old. I mean, ask Kelly. Is Kelly too old to be a world champion? No. No. 50 years old and just just won the most important contest of the year, uh, wow. pipe, pipe masters or pipeline or whatever. I don't know what the fuck, I'm not a surfer, but uh, the kid he beat was 22. Wow. <laughs> the kid that came in second place was 22. What a boss. Yeah, so <laughs> you, you, you're, never, you're never too young, you're never too old. Um, if you think you can, you can. And if you think you can't, you can't. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So you'd say you feel like you're in the prime? Oh yeah. Well, I'm definitely in the best shape of my life. Best shape of beyond, your life. I mean, beyond like- Fittest. God. I, I, yeah. I look at pictures of myself when I was 25, and my sunken little bird chest and my twig legs and just like, yeah. I, I did not know that you have to engage all this stuff to get this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pointing at my legs and my glutes and then tapping my shoulders and my chest. I didn't know that that's where the power came from. And I didn't know that that's how you created- I always wanted to look like I mentioned Donald Cerrone. I think yeah, he's one of the he's fittest. Awesome. I love that build. Yeah, he he has almost like a diver, a, a professional diver, or like a volleyball player's build. I've always, to me, for a guy, I feel like you never want to look like you spend a lot of time in a gym, because women pick up on that consciously or subconsciously. If you look like, I'm not saying that you can't spend a lot of time in a gym. There, there are guys that spend six hours a day in a gym and they're fucking world champions, right? And that's amazing. But most dudes that spend a lot of time in the gym and they have abs, they also have absolutely nothing else. Mm. You don't wanna be that guy. You don't wanna be the guy that looks like you spend a lot of time in a gym. You wanna look athletic. You wanna look like you can take a bare animal down with your, you know, a, a, take an animal down with your bare hands and kill it and feed a family of five. You know, I think that is attractive, but guys that get that, whatever that is, that like, they look like they're carrying two suitcases. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't Those think Those are the guys attractive. I think, uh, gimme. Uh, when I see them walking and- <laughs> Uh, I'm normally like, give me that guy. Yeah. Uh, those are my fastest fights. Guys yeah. that were, uh, look like they came from the pro bodybuilding world. Yeah. And it's not very functional. So see why I don't have abs, honey? It's, uh, I know. Because <laughs> you have absolutely everything else. Hey, thank you. <laughs> I noticed, and you'll appreciate this being a fighter. So um, I noticed, because I had uh, a couple of friends that were trying to fight amateur. And they were very young and, and not experienced. And then one of our customers, um, 
uh, well, it doesn't matter how many people saw me on TV with him, but Anthony Kiedis is a huge MMA fan. And he started inviting me to go to the UFC fights. And we would go and sit literally front row center, right behind Dana. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. But one of the best things about it, because of who I was with, I was able to meet everybody. I was able to meet all the people that I'd always fantasized about meeting. And what I noticed across the board, almost without exception, whether it was John Jones or whether it was Cain Velasquez or whether it was any of those guys, the tougher they were and the and the su- more superior they were in fighting, the gentler they were mm. and the nicer they were. And the younger guys that were up and coming, when they would shake my hand, it would hurt. Yep. None of the best guys ever did that to me. None of them. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if you're taught that as a fighter. Well, I think, I think whenever you're up and coming, you feel like you have something to prove. Um, and it's, it's kind of like the, what do they call it? It's been so long since it was, I was at the beginning. Um, but it's when, with the big stage and those bright lights come on and it's your first appearance. Yeah. You got the big, big light jitters basically where you're under the stage or under the big lights in front of the crowd for the first time you've been working so hard to get here, got a chip on your shoulder, you got something to prove and you almost have an attitude and it's almost overcompensating. I like whenever I see the guy I'm fighting is acting like that. Right. Um, Because you know the chances of him having an adrenaline dump. Yeah. Oh, he's going to have that. And and he's too much in his head. Yeah. Like that he's trying to act like he's not or he's trying to act like he's tough, tougher than he really is. Yeah. And so um, the mental game isn't going to be there as much. And he might he might be tough, but normally those guys when they when they get hit, um, they don't like getting hit. Yeah. And so they'll either overreact mm. or they'll crumble okay. underneath it. And so and then that carries cool, over calm. that carries over into their personalities. Then I mean, it yeah, I, I think it's weird because I like whether it's boxing kickboxing, jujitsu, wrestling. Mm-hmm. I was a national champion in wrestling a couple of times. And, okay. Um, you're right. The guys that are the most dangerous in the room are normally quiet, soft-spoken, or or they're just charismatic and friendly and give you the biggest bear hugs. Yeah. There and they, were, there they're, was, not, they're not assholes. There was guys that were high energy. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, of course, I'm going to forget his name. And I sat next to him. He, he was almost at every fight. And he was with a guy that has a really weird name um, that was on that '70s show. Do you know what I'm talking about? He, he's he. Uh, it's not Ashton Kutcher. Topher Grace <clears throat> has a really weird name. No, I shouldn't say Vla- really weird name. Uh, now I'm offending another no, no, no. people. It's uh, Jesus. Well, I have a really Vladimir, weird name. not Vladimir, but something. Valder, Wil- yes, Wilmer. Valder. Yes, yes. So he was really good friends with the blonde kid who's just a, a beast. Uh, he was. He was. Top, top, top. Uh, the blind kid from Houston, Sage Northcutt. No, no. God. Anyway, that's okay. Yeah. He was high energy, but he was gentle. Um, Not Connor. No. Okay. Uh, Connor, Connor. I, I got to take a pic with him, and he was very stiff. Yeah. He didn't shake my hand, but he took a pic with me. But, um, but uh, all, all of those guys, everyone, Silva, everyone had the. And then when I met like one of the godfathers of of UFC in Hawaii with Kelly BJ uh, no Penn? Gracie oh. oh yeah yeah when I met him I actually 
sat next to him. Um, it wasn't a UFC fight. Was another, yes. Bellator? Yes. We yeah. were at a Bellator fight. So that's who I fight for now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So That's who might be coming to Austin. So my God, this guy could not have been more soft-spoken, yeah. more kind, more... And I'll tell you what was really interesting about him. Somebody wanted him to hold up like a thing of booze and they wanted to like pay him or whatever. And he was just, no, 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 no. We don't do that. We put good, healthy things into our body. Yeah. And we don't we don't promote that. And I was like, wow. You can vibe with that. Loved it. Yeah. Loved well, it. Well, I think I think just to respect your time and I've got three questions that I haven't asked. I thought I could ask those. They can be quick answers. Sure. But um what has been your best moment in recovery so far and why? My best moment in recovery. Either in recovery or because of recovery. Well, it's both. It was, it was getting my mom that house. Mm. That was after the dust had settled. She was very challenging to get her to actually pick one. Um, and then even when we did pick one, she wanted to like change everything about it. That was just my mom. My mom loves to push buttons. But when it was finally, when the dust was settled, when the ink was dry, when the house was, you know, was paid for and I was leaving to go back to California and I was pulling out in the rental car and I stopped and I got out of the car to take a picture. I still have the picture. In fact, the picture is in my book. I got out of the car to take the picture. And uh, and I looked at the house. And I had this feeling that I had never had before. And that was, you're a good boy. Mm. You're a good boy. It felt like it was coming from God. Mm. You know? I felt like, like an arm around me. Like, you're... You're a good boy. You did good. So that was, uh, that was the best moment. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Goodness gracious. That's inspiring. That's so inspiring to me. Goodness. Thank you. Yeah. You're a good man. Thank you, brother. I mean Thank that. You. Thank you. I'm working on it. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess this would, it's going to parlay into the third question, but what has been one of the toughest or worst moments and how are you able to stay sober? Cause it's 19 years now. Or June, close 18, to it? June 18th will be 19. Um, one of the, one of the worst moments was, uh, after giving it my all working at the treatment centers and then eventually opening up my own place. I'm the founder of Riviera recovery. You know, I gave wow. that my all. Um, I really, I, I did my best to help as many people as I could. Um, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the founder of Riviera recovery. Um, and then opening up, uh, opening up Sun Life Organics and then opening up another one in, in Malibu, um, opening up the yoga studio, Malibu Beach Yoga, putting out my book, which was really kind of, you know, putting myself out there, yeah, opening myself up to sure. a lot of, a lot of, um, critique, which there was some, um, I finally got to a place in my life where I thought, you know, God, this is cool. Like I'm a good part of society. Like, you know, obviously I have tons of character defects and obviously I try every day to become the man that God intended me to become. And every day I fuck up, I, I say stupid shit or, you know, give like someone's driving slow in the fast lane and I have to like fly past them and give them that look and then cut in front of them like a fucking idiot. I don't do that often, but I catch myself doing shit like that. And it's just like, God, dude, grow the fuck up. Like you really think you're going to teach somebody how to drive by behaving like that? You could have caused an accident, you know? 
So obviously I still have a lot of character defects and I have a long way to go, but I got to this place where I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like you're kind of like a part of society now. And you know, the book has done really well. It's in all these different languages and the yoga studios thriving and the, you know, juice bars are doing really, really great. And, um, and then all of a sudden these fires happened and it kind of fucked us up. We had to shut down four stores temporarily mm-hmm. and, um, it was scary and the insurance companies didn't want to pay up. And then right when we were about to recover from that, my mom started getting really bad mm-hmm. and I had to go back to Ohio and I had to put her in a home, which was like my worst fear. It ended up being amazing in the end because she loved being around all those people and having company and being able to push all their buttons. But <laughs> Community. my worst fear, you know, was putting her in a home. So I'm putting my mom in a home, just, just coming out of the fires and, um, and the fucking Rona hits mm. and, uh, and you know, you can't prepare yourself for something like that. Like business was booming and I know we weren't making any money and I never really felt like a need to have a prudent reserve. Remember in the 12 step meetings, how they mm-hmm. always talked about having a prudent reserve. Yeah. Never really put a whole lot of thought to that. Then the fucking Rona hits and my CFO calls me up and she says, um, she said, hey, listen, we're not going to be able to make payroll next week. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what do you mean you're not going to make payroll? She goes, Cleo, we went from doing $55,000 a day in business to doing $5,000 a day with the same bills. We're fucked. And I'm like, what does that mean? What do, wh- wh- wait, wh- what do we do? She's like, we got to shut every store down and, you know, see if you can get a loan. And I couldn't. Call my partner who normally has deep pockets and he's like, oh yeah, here's a couple hundred thousand or, you know, I'll loan you some money to open up some more stores. My partner was terrified and he thought the whole world economy was going to collapse, which it kind of did in the beginning. He said, I'm not giving you a fucking penny. You have a retirement account, sell it. You pay the payroll. I'm like, what the fuck? So about to lose my business that I worked so hard for. And, um, I wake up in the morning and uh, I haven't, I've, I've never talked about this just because I don't want to give too much energy to this because these people don't deserve my energy. But some ex-employees from like five years earlier decided to go online and like start saying a bunch of negative shit about me. And it's just like, what the fuck? Like, really? You don't have anything better? Like, you worked for me five years ago and you want to say like I was a bad guy or I was this or, you know, whatever. And uh, and then all of a sudden other people kind of grabbed onto it. And then some other people started like, yeah, he's a bad guy and he was this and he was that. And he was a drug dealer. And, he... and then the shit started kind of like building up a little bit, right? Everyone's sitting at home. Nobody can go to work. Nobody can go to school. Nobody can go to concerts. Nobody can go, nobody can travel. And there was like a couple of days where people were saying some really nasty shit about me. And I called up my lawyers. I'm like, fuck that. They can't, they can't do that. My lawyer's like, you know what? Gotta let it go. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not letting it go. That's called defamation of character. That's like causing, you know, damage to my business. If we ended up being able to reopen these stores and right then I get the call from Ohio. Khalil, you have to come back. We have to bring in hospice. And I'm just like, no, 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 not, 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 you, not now. As if you can tell a parent when they're allowed to die, like talk about fucking ego, full blown, 
you know, no, I'm in pain right now. So you're not allowed to die. And they're like, listen, we're not asking you. We're telling you, you have to come back to Ohio. So my mom, my mom's dying. So people said some nasty shit about me. I'm about to lose my business. And, uh, I just, I just crumbled. I, I really crumbled. Now take away my mom dying. Uh, I probably, I probably would have filed a lawsuit. And even if I didn't, I really wouldn't have cared so much, but it's like, if I open a recovery center and I, I, I tried to help people go through treatment and I opened up a yoga studio that never made a fucking dime. And I often funded out of my own pocket and I put these books out there and I open these juice bars and be I on put, the board of nonprofits be on and, the board. Yeah. I mean, I didn't bring that yeah. up cause you know, but yeah. you're not supposed to, but yeah, I had done quite a bit of philanthropy work as, as you know. And people want to sit around online and, and, and talk shit about me. Like I fucking gave you the best I have. And if the best I have ain't good enough, what the fuck is? And by the way, it wasn't the Rick Rubens and the Kelly Slaters of the world. It wasn't the, the people that had owned companies and owned businesses. It was bored, disgruntled, unemployed people that life didn't work out the way they thought it was going to, you know? And I have empathy for that. I have empathy for that. Many of them are daily customers now. They, they came back. Um, and my employees, you know, the first few times they're like, Hey, what do you, you want us to like kick them out or whatever? And I'm like, no, why would I want you to kick them out? Here's the deal. Hurt people, hurt people. That's it. So those people were in pain. Those people felt like locked up caged animals. They didn't have money. Maybe life had handed them a couple of bad blows. Maybe relationships weren't working out, or maybe there's like, want to just fucking talk shit and character assassinate somebody. But whatever it was, it was, it was like, it felt like the world was ending. It felt like the world was ending and I was fucking hurting so bad. And I was so scared of losing my mom. And it was in that moment that I, I had to just like go inward. I had to, I had to practice stillness. I had to go back to that fervent praying, you know, God, can you please be with me now? God, can you please be with me now? God, can you please hold my hand? Just hold my hand and walk me through this moment. You know, I need your help right now. I need your strength right now. I leaned heavily on God. Um, my girlfriend, not so much. She was freaked out. She wasn't used to seeing me down like that and scared. That's not my typical state of being. I'm usually pretty optimistic and come from a place of strength and confidence. And um, I just had to turn it all over to God. Um, I got really, uh, and again, I've never talked about any of this stuff. I got really Jesus-y at the time. I really like dove into Jesus. Like I, I like really was like reaching out to Jesus and I'm not a Christian. I'm not like, I'm hoping I'm not freaking anybody out right now, but like for whatever reason, I felt really compelled to pray to Jesus. And I just, because Jesus was a dude that like didn't judge people, you know, Jesus hung out with prostitutes and beggars and thieves and he accepted them and he loved them. And I just like the type of God that I wanted in my life in that moment had a lot of Jesus stuff going on with it. Mm. And for whatever reason, I don't know. And I still do, awesome. you know, from time to time, I got really Jesus-y and I felt a lot of comfort in that. I felt a lot of peace in that. I prayed a lot and, um, and slowly, but surely, I mean, not, 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 
I mean, look, my mom, my mom died, you know, my mom died and I did have to shut down four stores permanently. Mm. I lost millions of dollars. The company lost millions of dollars. Um, I realized that hurt people hurt people. And I realized that becoming successful is really fucking cool. But if, if you're looking to like, not ever like suffer ridicule from other people, don't become successful. Cause here's the deal. If I were fat and bald and broke, nobody would have said shit, mm. right? If my businesses I had started and they had gone away, uh, nobody would say shit. But when, when you're happy and you're successful and you're out there and, the, and some of it I brought on myself, no one, look, posting a bunch of pictures of yourself on private jets and penthouses and 300 foot yachts. If you're going to be a fucking douchebag like that, which I was, you better get ready for some people to become really super resentful and want to attack you. They saw the opportunity, so they fucking attacked. And again, if my mom hadn't been dying at the time, if we, if I wasn't about to lose my business that I had built for 10 years at the time, if all that wasn't going on, I would have been like, fuck you. You're right. Whatever. Whatever you want to say about me, you're right. Good for you. Go ahead and talk shit. But all of it together was my darkest moment. And most of it had to do with losing my mom and, and losing my, my business. <clears throat> and I, I dove in. I put my faith in God. I put my trust in God. And after my mom passed... I just thought to myself, you know what? I don't need to be here. I don't need to be here. I want to I want to change a pace, you know? I want to go someplace where people are like the people that I grew up around. Like people from Chicago, people from, you know, Ohio, people from Tennessee, people from people from the middle of the country that 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 rich assholes often refer to as the flyover states. Yeah. I'll take the people East in those Coast, fly Coast. I'll yeah. take the people in those flyover states <clears throat> any day over people on the east and west coast. Not that the people on the east and west coast are bad people. I fucking love them. But my god, if you are from the heartland, if you are from the Midwest, if you are from the south, if you are from these so-called flyover states, there's like a 99% chance you're an amazing fucking human being and I want to be friends with you. That's so awesome. I left yeah. I left and here I am and I'm happy that I've ever Austin. been. That's so great. I yeah, love buddy. it. And on this, maybe in closing, I was going to think, I was kind of thinking, what are some of your most important principles in your life? But really the, the meat of it is what's allowed you to get to a place where you could set aside how you feel in order to do the right thing? Financial in independence is paramount. Okay. You want to you want to have real peace of mind, and if you want to self actualize, financial independence is paramount. I mean, if you're if you're living under Maslow's hierarchy, if you're stuck down here in the bottom, like I was in survival mode, I'm gonna say some stupid shit. I'm gonna do some stupid shit. I'm gonna hurt some feelings. I'm gonna whatever. And then you get up to where you're kind of like in the middle part, where you're starting to make a little bit of money, and you sort of come to realize that, like, man. I was making minimum wage and I was pretty fucking miserable and now I'm making good money and I'm a lot happier. So all those people that told me that money couldn't buy me happiness were full of shit because money absolutely positively can buy you happiness to a certain extent. If you go from making minimum wage to making a couple hundred grand a year, you're going to be a lot happier unless you're just a fucking miserable fuck. Then yeah. it's going to make you even more of a miserable fuck. Money can typically amplify who you are. 
But I was like kind of like a, you know, halfway decent, happy person that went from being fucking broke to making decent money. And then once you really make your money work for you, meaning you're not buying fucking golden goose tennis shoes and Gucci belts, but you are actually investing your money in, you know, stocks and bonds and and, and municipal bonds and uh, cryptocurrencies. I mean, thank God, thank God that I was dumb enough to invest in cryptocurrencies in 2015 because most of the financial freedom that I get to experience today is because of that investment. So financial independence is paramount for me and I think for other people as well, because when you're struggling to pay the bills, it's really hard to find peace of mind. Mm. But when you have enough money to pay the bills for a couple of years out, or even better, your house is paid off, your car is paid off, and you got some dough in the bank to survive for the rest of your life, that is... Go back and watch the original Matrix when Keanu Reeves, at the end of the movie, finally gets up out of the tub and he pulls those fucking tubes out of the back of his head and out of the back of his neck. That's what true financial independence feels like. Mm. Then all of a sudden you can see, you can see the Matrix, you can see how you were stuck in the Matrix, and you can actually step out of the Matrix. Wow. That's a great answer. It's been a great podcast. One thing that I've seen inside of the Sun Life Organic Store is uh, it's a little writing uh, from some sacred text, but it's uh, I'll just read it and maybe you got one thing to say in closing, but it's let all that I am praise the Lord with with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases for an addict like me or you, you know, having the disease of addiction and see why this resonates. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the Eagles. 1000% my story and my experience and, and whether that God is, Mohammed or Yahweh or Krishna or Ganesh or Jesus Christ or whatever you want to, whatever name you want to pray to, just pray. Just, mm-hmm. just reach towards your own divinity. Don't reach, don't reach towards your parents, God. Don't reach towards the God that you were, you know, experienced the punitive nature of in school when you were growing up. Don't listen to anybody else tell you anything about God with the exception of this. God loves you whether you believe in God or not. Hmm. That's just reality. And if at any moment in your life you choose to turn your will in your life over to the care of a God of your understanding, and by God I mean the creator, whatever it is, I don't know, call it the fucking universe, call it energy, call it an old man in the sky. I think one of the great cosmic jokes might just be when we do die, it's going to be some fucking old man with a long <laughs> beard that's going to be like, you were wrong. <laughs> I am an old man with a beard. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I don't know what the name of God is. I don't know what the name of God is. I just know that God is. And mm-hmm. if in, in, in that knowing, in that knowing, it's, it's healed my wounds. It's made me whole. It's cured me of my diseases. God has crowned my head with love. Mm. Wow, beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we'll wrap it there. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so, so, so grateful for you. Thank you. Brother. Thank you for sharing your heart, showing up like you did. Of course. And uh, I know this is going to help someone in a deep and meaningful way. I hope way. so, man. I and we so. want to hear that. We want to hear it from you. So you can message us, uh, like, rate, review, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, uh, any of the platforms you listen to on YouTube and leave us a comment, send us a message, uh, follow Khalil. Can they, can you share how they can follow you? Sure. Just, uh, Instagram's the easiest way. Okay. I'm not sophisticated enough to figure out Twitter or, or TikTok or any of that shit. Sure. I'm too old for that shit. So anyway. Instagram will Just, have the links in the bio. Yeah. And also please come out to, if you're in Austin, Texas, come out to the Sun Life Organics on South Congress. Come see Khalil or maybe Amy and I. If you are at any Sun Life Organics yeah. and you see me. Come up to me, interrupt me, because I'm going to be talking, because I never <laughs> shut the fuck up. Come up to me, interrupt me, introduce yourself to me, please. Let me shake your hand. Let me take a picture with you. Let me treat you to a smoothie. Um, let, let's just, you know, look at one another and, and speak the language of the heart to one another, mm. even if it's just for a moment. Let me give you a hug or give me a hug or I would really appreciate it. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to give you a hug now. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Hey, don't forget to send your Overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also, rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.